and I'm glad each one of you are here. And if you want to open your Bibles along with me to 2 Kings chapter 5, and uh, I do have a few announcements to make. I know uh, the women had talked about changing our Tuesday night Bible study in the Foundations of the Faith to heaven on Wednesday, so both Bible studies are on Wednesday, but it actually doesn't work. With some of the Tuesday people, they're just not able to make it if it's on Wednesday, so we're going to keep it the way it is. So on Tuesday, we'll have the uh, Foundation of the Faith Bible study one week, and then the following week on Wednesday, we'll have our Person and Deity of Jesus Christ Bible study. And uh, the new outlines for the Foundation of the Faith are out on the welcome desk, so make sure you grab one, the new outline. And um, so we are in Second Kings chapter 5. In, uh, by the way, this week, Vi and I became, for the first time, great-grandparents. And uh, Stacy had, <laughs> she had a 10-pound, 4-ounce, 22-inch Beckham, <laughs> little boy Beckham. So big baby. And, um, and also be praying for our brother Larry Ike, he had a stroke, a pretty serious one, and, and um, so let's be lifting he and his whole family up in prayer. And uh, he was a great brother. He's a, um, he was in the military around the same time as I was. He was a, a helicopter pilot in Vietnam, so he had a very dangerous mission, but um, the most disciplined man I, I've ever met, disciplined in his love for the Lord, disciplined in his reading, and just a great example. So we praying for he and his wife, Renee, and his two boys, he has two boys that are in the military, one's a major, one's a lieutenant colonel, and who followed in their dad's footsteps. So keep the whole family in prayer. They're, they're great, wonderful people. Okay. I want to pray for God's blessing, though, on this message, Father. I think of all the points and all the uh, wonderful things that we find in this portion of Scripture and I pray that you would give me the ability and the wisdom to be able to reveal them in such a way that they not only speak to people's hearts, but might encourage them in their walk with you. And so, Father, come and use me to minister your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this is a very interesting portion of Scripture, and, um, and, and it seems to be, in many ways, related to... Uh, unrelated to other events that we find through the scripture, okay? But it really isn't. It's, it's about a man named Naaman. And the thing that's interesting about Naaman is he's nowhere else mentioned in scripture. This is the only place that we find him mentioned, even though he was a commander of the army for Assyria. But this is the only place that we find him uh, mentioned. And, uh, but the reality is, this is all about one man's salvation. And I think that's interesting, and it's such a great point, that you have a whole chapter of Scripture that's all about one person's salvation. Very likely his family you know, came to the Lord as well, but it wasn't a national revival. It wasn't even a local revival. It's one man's salvation. And I think the reason, one of the reasons it's in here is for the Lord to show us the importance of the individual. We are saved one person at a time. And that's the reason uh, we, as believers, we need to take opportunity, every opportunity we have, to share our faith with the lost and with unbelievers, one salvation at a time. And um, 
And like I said, nothing is known about Naaman except for what we find in this portion of Scripture. So we are in 2 Kings chapter 5, starting with verse 1. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord... Now, this is interesting. We're going to talk about that in, in a bit. But you see in your Bible, L is capitalized there. In the Hebrew, the actual word is Yahweh. So it's talking about the God of Israel. And it says, By him, the Lord, Yahweh, had given victory to Syria. Well, that's a, an amazing question we have. Why would Yahweh give victory to Israel? Well, uh, to Syria, I mean. We'll talk about that in a moment. And he was also, this is talking about Naaman, he was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out unraised and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. And she waited on Naaman's uh, wife, and she said to her mistress, If only my master, talking about Naaman, were with the prophet who is in Samaria, talking about Elisha, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, that would be the king, uh, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. And so it's interesting because with all of his conquests and with the high position that Naaman held, he was still humbled by being a leper. And I think one of the things that it speaks to us is we could have you know, all the gravitas, you know, we could have all the honor, we could have all those things, but without Jesus Christ we're still lepers, we're still sinners. And so even though he had everything, he still needed salvation. He was a sinner. He needed to be saved. And, uh, of course, leprosy was a very dangerous disease, one that usually ostracized people from others, but apparently in Assyria he was allowed to be among his own people anyway. In verse 5, Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed, and he took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. So if you take what a talent is in ounces and you, for gold, for instance, and you take it in the, today's price for gold, if we're looking at today's money, it would be over $3 million that he had. So this wasn't just uh, you know, a couple bucks that he was taking with him. Actually, I said $3 million, $33 million in today's money. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And we're going to find that the king took this in the wrong way. Uh, the, the girl made it very clear that it was a prophet. But, of course, to, to go in a respectful way, you didn't go right to the prophet. You went to the king first, that you might go see the prophet. You understand what I'm saying? You, you, if you want, want, want to talk to someone's child, you're going to go and talk to the parents first and say, is it okay if I talk to your child? And that's what was actually going on here. But, of course, we're going to find that the king of Israel took it a wrong, uh, wrong way. Verse 7, And it happened when the king of Israel, who was Jehoram at that point, um, read the letter that he tore his clothes and he said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends a man to me, talking about the king of Assyria, sends a man to me, talking about Naaman, uh, uh, a man to me 
to heal him of his leprosy. Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. In other words, he thought he was just looking for a reason to go to war. Verse 8, so it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel torn his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please, let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So I don't know whether Elisha heard from the Lord or whether he had inside people that were aware of everything that was going on in the king's court. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious. He wasn't just a little upset. He was furious, okay? And he went away, and he said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abna and the Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, um, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and he went away in rage. He was really ticked. But, and his servant came near, and um, his servants came near, and they spoke to him, and they said, My father... If the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So it's interesting that Nahum listened to his servants, and he got down in verse 14. So he went down, and he dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Verse 15. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him, and he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God, Yahweh, there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now therefore, please take a gift from, from your servant. But he said, as the Lord, this is uh, Elisha, he said, but he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him, this is uh, Naaman, to take it, but he refused. So Naaman said, Then, if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offerings or sacrifices to other gods, but to the Lord, Yahweh. Yet, in this thing, may the Lord uh, pardon your servant. When my master goes into the temple of Rimon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple of Rimon. When I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. Then, Elijah, then he said to him, Go in peace, for he departed. So he departed and, um, from him a short distance. Now, why would the Lord give victory to the Syrians? It tells us in this first part that we read, L-O-R-D, Yahweh, gave victory to the Syrians. Well, oftentimes the Lord used the enemies of Israel to discipline them. And sometimes the Lord does that to us. We might have someone who maybe we don't really care about that much, or someone who we think is so uh, you know, far below us, but the Lord uses them to discipline us. And that's a wonderful thing, because to be disciplined of the Lord is to show that the Lord loves you and to show that the Lord cares. So the Lord was using Syria, 
giving them the power to go in and have successful raids in order to discipline Israel. And also, um, this is, is, I think, is so amazing. Uh, we have to realize we don't understand the ways of the Lord. We're, we're to simply trust and believe. The Lord does things in ways that we don't understand, and we think, why is he working this way or that way? Because the Lord knows the beginning from the end. You might think this is confusing, it doesn't make any sense, but the end result is what the Lord is looking at. And so the different aspects of our life and difficulties we face might be just preparing us or bringing us to a successful end. And um, so we have to understand that we need to simply, brothers and sisters, always trust the Lord. If you take notes, in Romans chapter 11, verse 33, it says this, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. His ways are so much higher than our ways. We can't always be trying to figure everything out. Just trust the Lord. Just believe. You know, um, any of you who've been in the military, you know sometimes you're, you're given an order, and if you question it in any way, you know, you're not paid to think. <laughs> you know, just, just do it. Well, that's kind of a harsh way of addressing it, but in the reality, as soldiers of Christ, as being servants of the living God, it's not a matter of us needing to know the answer to everything that God asks us to do, or the reason, even, why God asks us to do it. We just need to obey. Because in the end, his will is perfect. And in the end, the purpose of his will is going to be, be to bring something very beautiful about. And um, another real important part of this tapestry is that, is that this young Israeli girl had been captured. And when it says young girl here, and it's the Hebrew, na'ara'ah, and it means an adolescent. So this young girl was between 12 and 13 years of age. So when we think of her, I think a lot of people read it, and they think of a young woman, you know, 20, 22. She was a kid between 12 and 13 years of age, and she's captured, and she's taken you know, into an Assyrian household, and yet she faithfully serves her mistress, and she faithfully serves her God by saying there is a prophet in Israel, there's a God in Israel, and this prophet's able to heal my master Naaman. And so she was useful to the Lord even in the midst of captivity. And I think that's just such a beautiful example for you and I. And um, sometimes we look at this and we say, we think, how could it be God's will to allow a 12 or 13-year-old girl to be captured by a pagan nation and taken away from her family? Maybe her family was murdered or killed during that raid. I don't know. But why would the Lord allow that? Because once again, his ways are so far beyond our ways, beyond finding out. But the Lord used this young girl for the conversion of Naaman. And he gets miraculously saved. I mean, he gives a testimony. There is no other God, no God, except the God of Israel, except Yahweh. And so it's an amazing thing um, to see how a tragedy, like a, a, a teenage, a young 12, 13-year-old girl being taken captive can lead to the salvation of Naaman, and like I said, very likely his whole family. And, um, 
And I think it's interesting to realize that though a little girl, she knew the Lord, and she had enough of the Lord dwelling in her that she was not fearful of sharing the truth. Her faith was strong enough, she shared the truth. I mean, think about it. I mean, and think about a 12 or 13-year-old girl being taken captive, and yet she's unwilling to hide her faith, but she shares it. And, of course, Nahum listened, and um, he goes to the king and says, hey, I have a servant girl from Israel, and she said there's a man of God in Israel that can heal me. And the king believes him, and, and Naaman believes the girl, and the king believes Naaman and sends him on his way. And the king of Syria at that time was Ben-Hadad, who was not a very nice guy. And uh, he not only gave Naaman permission to go, but he also sent a letter along with him. And the king of Israel at that time was Jehoram. And Jehoram tore his clothes, thinking the king of Assyria ex expected him to heal him. I mean, what egotism? No, it wasn't him. It was the God of Israel that the healing was expected to come from, not from the king. And... Um, so Jehoram obviously was thinking Ben-Hadad was just looking for an excuse for war. had nothing to do with that. Ben-Hadad had sent him to Jehoram um, in order for Jehoram to direct him to uh, the prophet that might heal him. Because it would have been actually um, disrespectful if the king would have sent him right to the prophet, right to Elisha, and ignoring the king. So he was going about it the right way, but the king took it in the wrong way. And um, so Elisha, who somehow knew all about this, knew the king tore his clothes, told the king, send Nahum to him, to send him to me, and he would be healed of his leprosy. Now, Nahum went to Elijah with all kinds of great pomp. He was in his chariot and all these horses. He comes riding in with all his you know, regal authority and, and goes before the house of, of Elisha. And Elisha sends a servant out. He says, hey, go wash in the Jordan River seven times, you'll be clean. Well, that really made him very angry. And um, because he didn't realize, Naaman didn't realize, it wasn't Elisha would bring healing, it was Elisha's God that would bring healing. And God can work through who, whomever he wants. And so the Lord, you know, put it on Elisha's heart to send his servant out. And I think part of it was to humble Naaman, because he was angry, it tells us. And um, this casual reception and simple instruction made him, it tells us, angry. And the word there in the Hebrew means angry. He was really upset. And um, because Naaman was expecting some great ritual and powerful commands, not simply to go bathe in the Jordan. You see, Naaman was expecting religion, and what he was offered was faith. And there's so many times even we think that. You know, um, I want to go. I, I, I need to be healed. I need to be healed. So I want to go to the church and, and tell them I need to be healed. And I want, you know, 
I, I want candles lit, and I want people coming around me. I want water sprinkled on me, and I want you know people to lay their hands on me, and I want them to be groaning in prayer and 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 you know going on for two or three hours for my healing. But what if you go to church and you say, "I need to be healed," and the pastor has one of the people in the church say to you, "Okay." Go home and be healed. Well, wait a second. That's not enough. I, I want some kind of ceremony. Because religion makes us feel good. Religion makes us feel like we're somehow closer to God. But we have to understand, brothers and sisters, is religion is man's attempt to achieve a relationship with God. Faith is receiving from God that which he's already given. And so we have faith. And so all it takes is someone, if the Lord is directing them, to say, okay, the Lord said, go your way, you're going to be healed. You're healed. Well, of course, Naam, as we said, had a really hard time with him. This, and it says he went away in great rage. And Naaman didn't understand that it was not Israel's river that was going to bring the healing, but Israel's God who would heal him. You understand, it wasn't the river, it was God who would heal him. And um, that's why it tells us in 1 Samuel 15, 22, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Do you understand that? To obey is much better than sacrifice. Well, I'm doing all this for the Lord. I'm doing all that for the Lord. I'm doing this, I'm doing that. But are you obeying the Lord? Obey, uh, obedience is better than sacrifice. I mean, you can be going off and, and being a missionary in the worst parts of the world. Your, your life is in danger. You're starving yourself to death. But if you're doing that just to try to work your own relationship and your own reward in heaven, it's useless. Being obedient is better than sacrifice. Maybe what the Lord wants you to do is to stay right where you are in your own home, in your own church, and be a minister there. So we have to realize... Obedience is always better than sacrifice. Now, Naaman's servant, which, you know, you've you got to give his, his servant, well, it says his servants, but it's only one that spoke. You've got to give his servants, um, I don't know, I, I guess real respect, because they went right up to Naaman, and um, they confronted him. And they said, hey, you know, if, if he would have told you to do some great thing, Okay, you have to go and roll down a hill, you know, 35 times with only a shirt on, and then you have to go and, and you fight two giants, and if you beat them. If he told you to do something great, you would have tried to do it. You would have, you would have done it. But because he simply said, bathe in the Jordan seven times, dip in seven times, you think that's too easy, so you don't want to do it. And the fact is, um, and I give Naaman uh, credit, because here his servants confront him, and he receives it. He received it. And that's a lesson for us. We might have someone who confronts us with something, and we, in our own heart we're thinking, who are they? Well, it doesn't make any difference who they are, who's telling them to confront us. And if it's the Lord, we receive it. So anyway, his servants you know, confront him, 
<clears throat> so he goes and he dips in the Jordan seven times and he comes out and it says his skin was, was like that of a child. He was clean and his skin was like that of a child. How amazing, how amazing is that? And um, Nahum's response was, um, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. In other words, he knew there was only one true God, Yahweh. Here is a man who was raised in paganism. He was the military general of a pagan army. And yet, of course, he was covered with leprosy, which oftentimes is used in Scripture to be analogous with sin. Because no matter how great we are, no matter how much we've accomplished, we're sinners. We're sinners. And we can only be saved by the simplicity of grace, by dipping seven times in the Jordan of grace. It's the only way we can be saved. You're not going to be saved because you've done some great thing, because you've given some super amount of money, or because you've made some amazing contribution. We're saved with the simplicity of grace. We're saved by grace through faith alone. And that is such a beautiful thing to hang on to. And um, so Naaman then returns to the man of God because he wants to show his gratitude to what Elisha did for him. But we have to understand the working of God is not something we can buy. It's a gift. In Matthew 10, uh, 8, it says, freely you receive, freely you give. And for this reason, Elisha refused to take money from Naaman because he didn't want Naaman going, by, uh, going back and thinking, well, I paid for my healing. I paid the price for my healing. He didn't want him to do that. He refused to take the money. This is a gift of God. It has nothing to do, Elisha was saying to him, it has nothing to do with me. It has to do with the God that I serve. And so he refused to take anything. And... Um, so if you think about it, and uh, because of this great miracle and the, and the working of God, Naaman was healed. And Naaman said, may the Lord... Well, it's interesting, too, because he wanted to take two mules of earth from Israel back with him. You might be thinking, why would he want to do that? Well, I believe it's because he wanted to worship on the land of Israel, even when he was back in his pagan country. I, I don't know this for sure, but I think probably the dirt was put in some place where he kneeled down and, and prayed and, uh, because he wanted to be on the land of Israel when he did that. And, um, and it's interesting, too, because he, he says to Naaman, says to Elijah, May the Lord forgive me when I take my master, the king, to worship before Ramon. And um, he realized there's no other God but the God of Israel. But he also was a man and subject to his king. And a lot of people say, well, I don't know how he could do that. Well, I would imagine Joseph and Daniel, who are heroes of the Bible, who we've read about from our childhood, I imagine that they were probably in the presence of idolatrous worship many times. But they didn't worship the idols. They worshiped only the one true God. And so we have to realize... Um, just like you and I, we're immersed in the world. You go to work, most of you, when you go to work, probably your employer doesn't say, let's gather in the main room for prayer before we get started for the day. I doubt that happens. 
you know, probably something just the opposite of that. So the point I'm getting at is we're in the world. We're going to be in the world. We're going to be around paganism. We're going to be around, you know, uh, vulgarity and so many other things. But that doesn't affect our relationship with God, and we shouldn't allow ourselves to be part of it. You know, I'll tell you, the greatest witness that you can be to the lost people that you work with isn't going in and preaching to them and, and, you know, a lot of times that just turns them off. But you go in and you simply be a moral child of God, a loving, compassionate child of God. And believe me, they're seeing that, and, and it's, uh, you know, just as, as an example, uh, a story I heard years ago that um, one time Billy Graham was asked to go play golf with a, some well-to-do, some very renowned men. And um, after they got through playing, uh, someone said to one of the guys, uh, uh, how was it playing golf with Billy Graham? He said it was okay, but all he did was preach. Well, the reality was he never preached once. He never said anything to them. But you see, it was very simply his, his moral attitude his unwillingness to participate maybe in some of the things that they talked about and maybe swearing. I don't know what it might have been. But the fact is that he was preaching without saying a word. And that's the best preaching we can do around unsaved people. You live a moral, righteous, holy life. Not afraid to talk about the fact that you're a Christian. Not afraid to talk about the fact that you trust and believe the Bible and you believe in the one true God. Never afraid to share that. But you're not preaching to people. You're not you know, giving them a hard time. But you stand apart different by your own moral behavior. And that's going to speak more to people than they think. And then, you know, ending up here, we're going into the last part. Um, and of course, and this is verse 20, chapter 5. But Gehazi, the servant Elijah, the man of God, said, Look, my master has, spare, has uh, spared Naaman the Syrian, while not receiving from his hand what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. Wow. His master refused to take anything. He wanted all the credit and glory to go to God. He didn't want anything to stumble Naaman in, in, in why he was healed. But this Gehazi, his servant, goes running after him. Verse 21, so Gehazi pursued Naaman, when Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from his chariot to meet him, and he said, is all well? I mean, I don't know this for sure, but I think probably he saw Gehazi coming and thought possibly something happened to Elijah. And he got down, he was worried about Elijah. It's all well. And uh, verse 22, and he said, all is well. My master has sent me, saying, indeed, just now two young men of the sons of prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. Please, give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments. So Naaman said, please, take two talents. And he urged him, and he bound two talents of silver in uh, two bags. That's about 240 pounds, um, 3,800 ounces, $70,000 worth. Um, with two changes of garments. You have to understand, uh, we read about this with Samson as well, and it talks about a change of garments. That was a treasure in those days. They didn't have Marshalls or Walmart or, or TJ Maxx. I didn't want to offend anyone by leaving something out. 
They didn't have any of those stores. When you had a change of clothing, they were hand-woven, they were handmade. They were worth a lot. Okay? And um, so anyway, two changes of garments, and he handed them to uh, two of his servants, and they carried them on ahead of him. And when he came to the citadel, in, in the, uh, Hebrew is talking about a hill, citadel was on a hill, he took them, and uh, from their, he, he took them from their hand, talking about the change of clothes and silver, and he stored them away in the house. In other words, he hid them away for himself. Then he let the men go, and they departed. Now he went in, and he stood before his master Elijah, and said to him, Where did you go, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant did not go anywhere. How could you be Elijah's servant for all those years, and you think you can lie to him? I mean, he knew what the Syrians were doing in their secret consuls. Verse 26, this is Elisha speaking to Gehazi. Then he said to him, Did not my heart go with you when, you, uh, when the man turned back uh, from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing and olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen, male and female servants? And, um, but before I finish that, this isn't the time for us to be worried about material possessions and receiving this or that. This is a time for you and I to love the Lord and to serve him and to be his witness everywhere we go in everything we do. It's not a matter of us, you know, like these churches that are telling, oh, you come to our church and blessings going to fall down from heaven. You know, you can't even be contained. It's going to be beyond what you can imagine. You're going to come to our church and be heresy. It's not just a wrong teaching, it's heresy. Because the God who serves, who, who was willing to serve us by giving his life, our God does not expect you and I to be serving him out of a desire for financial gain. We serve him because of his love. You have to understand, before you were born again, before you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you are on the fast track to hell. Hell is a real place. No one spoke of hell more than Jesus Christ. Did you know that? And why? Because he didn't want anyone to go there. And he still doesn't. I mean, hell is a place of eternal torment. And hell was created for Satan and his angels, Scripture tells us, not for man. But because of sin, God is separated from God. And the only conclusion after death, when the soul and spirit leave the body, is, is hell or heaven. If you're born again, you go to heaven. The absolute assurance. And so it's so important for us to understand that because um, that's what Elijah is saying. Is this a time to worry about money and finances and all these things? No, it's a time to serve the Lord. It's the time to trust God. Whether the Lord gives us anything or not, we love him and we trust him. You realize that there are people in other countries that live in mud huts and, and hunt for their food, and their faithfulness to Jesus Christ is astounding. They'll walk miles through the jungle to attend their church service and sit on mud benches and rocks. It's not a time to be worried about 
finances and money and all this and that. It's a time to be serving the Lord. In verse 27, Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence leprous as white as snow. So it's interesting because uh, Naaman even treated the prophet's servant with respect by coming down from his chariot. But Gehazi was deceptive. He not only suffered from the sin of greed, but also he lied. And the thing is, he didn't just lie in relationship to himself. He lied about Elisha. Even though Elijah said he didn't want anything, he's changed his mind. A couple of prophets come in. He wants some money to feed them and some clothing. So he was lying about God. He was lying about Elijah. And um, so anyway, Gehazi, he dishonored not only his master, but also his Lord. In Acts 5.4, it says, Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Now, Gehazi hid his money, but he could not hide his sin. We can hide a lot of things, but we can't hide our sin. God sees everything. In Numbers chapter 23, or chapter 32, Numbers 32, 23, if you take notes, it says, You have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. It always will. It always finds you out. Now, Nahum's leprosy was given to Gehazi, for the rest of his life. And so, brothers and sisters, is fame and money worth the cost of disobedience? Is it worth the cost of the stain of leprosy the rest of our life? And one of the things that's interesting is that yet we find Gehazi is mentioned in later chapters as still being a servant of Elijah. In chapter 8, verses 4 and 5, as a matter of fact, if you want to write that down, um, Gehazi's still being used. And to me, it shows the mercy of God. Even though Gehazi had this great fall, even though the consequence of his sin, leprosy, had fallen upon him, he was still useful to God. And so even though you and I might have had a fall, maybe we're suffering the consequence of that fall, confession and repentance makes us useful to the Lord once again. We might carry the stain of that sin with us the rest of our life, but we can be useful to the Lord. Now, um, how many of us, this is my conclusion, how many of us sow to the flesh and still want to receive God's blessing when we end up getting leprosy? <laughs> if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. You know, there's nothing wrong, brothers and sisters, being found in the flesh in this world to desire things. In other words, if you walk into a store, especially young women, because they're more prone to this. I'm just trying to be sexist here. But anyway, you have young women that walk into a store and they see some outfit. Oh, I've got to have that. Well, actually, you don't need to have it, but oh, I've got to have that. Is there anything wrong with that young woman seeing an outfit she'd like to have and purchasing it? No. There's nothing wrong with it at all. The point is, don't allow that to become some kind of a God in your life. I'm going to do whatever I can in order to have this, in order to have that. If the Lord has given you the ability to be able to purchase or to receive this or that, 
and it's something that you know you would like to have. Nothing wrong with it. You know, if you're a Christian and the Lord has given you the finances that you need to buy a nice new car, and you say, I just want to show what a Christian I am to go and buy a $100 car that I'm going to have to put 2000 a month in repairs in. You know, That doesn't make you a, a better Christian. You understand what I'm saying? We live according to how God has blessed us, and there's nothing wrong with that. My parents, you know, not trying to... Uh, but my parents were poor. We didn't own a TV, we didn't own a car, but we had love and we went to church. And I had friends that were pretty well off, and their lives and their families were a disaster. What would you rather have? Riches or peace? And that's the way it is in our relationship with God. If God blesses you with things, don't just say, no, no, I'm not going to take it because I want to show how humble I am. No, you're showing what a jerk you are because you're, in your humility, you're expressing pride. You follow what I'm saying? Oh, I'm not going to take that to show how humble I am so everyone can look at me and see how wonderful I am. Or even to your own heart you're saying that. If God blesses you with something, receive it. But the reason we love the Lord isn't to receive things. We love the Lord because he's worthy. And so, you know, godliness, it says in Scripture, with contentment is great gain. Love the Lord and be content. Father, thank you for your word and for this truth, and I pray that you would use it to minister to and encourage us in our walk with you because we love you, Lord, with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and our greatest desire is to be your servants in this world. And so come, Lord, and hear our hearts speaking to you and give us what we need in order to be humble, faithful servants, I pray. And Father, if there are any among us who don't know you, who are not born again, they don't even have that assurance of heaven. Lord, I pray that you would give them the greatest gift that there is, and you'd, get, you'd grant to them salvation as they confess their sin and ask you to take over their life, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Amen, brothers and sisters.